Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. Welcome to episode 28 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. I'm your host, Luke Algerson. You know how we do it. Five topics, unpopular opinion. Let's get right into it. NBA playoffs, full force. We're already moving into the second round. First series that I want to talk about is the one that just concluded last night on September 1st, 2020. We're recording this September 2nd of 2020 but the game last night game seven two best words in sports the utah jazz against the denver nuggets it was a thrilling down to the wire game a lot of fun to watch it was sloppy no doubt about it the game was absolutely sloppy but sloppy basketball made for entertaining basketball the whole game was thrilling. There might have been a basket on the lid but it didn't matter that the teams only combined for what 158 points yeah the final score nuggets 80 jazz 78 it it came down to the wire mitchell had a turnover the nuggets tried to go down to the other end rather than kill clock they went for a layup Torian craig missed they had a chance mike conley at the buzzer could not get it to go in and out it would have been an incredible shot it was a fun game you know, Rudy Gobert turned it up in the fourth quarter. He had a double-double. He finished the game with 19 and 18. Mitchell, though the superstar of the Jazz, he had 22 and 9. You could just see how emotionally distraught this team was after losing this game. It just showed that game seven, the pressure was there. Guys were missing shots that they were making throughout the bubble. Guys were passing up shots that they usually take throughout this bubble. Game seven was big time. There was a lot of pressure on both of these teams. I think the Jazz are going to learn a lot from this, especially Mitchell. is only going to make him better. And the Jazz aren't letting him go anywhere. Apparently, the reports are once free agency starts, they're going to sign him to the max. Five-year, $170 million. You got to hold on to a guy like that because he's absolutely incredible. He's incredible for the Jazz. Just so much young talent in this league, and he's one of the guys where it's like, you know the league's in a good spot. The league's in a great spot because of guys like Mitchell, but they ended up losing to the Denver Nuggets. Nuggets. They got a lot of young pieces too. Jamal Murray, he had 17. Jokic chipped in 30 and 14. He was eaten on Gobert. Porter Jr., he's just a rookie. He had 10 points. You know, Jokic carried the way. And again, the pressure was there. It's just the prelude for the rest of the playoffs, I think. It's just going to lead to show that these games matter. Like In crunch time, these are big-time games. Regardless if there's fans there or not, the intensity is there, the pressure is there, the anxiety, the stress of an actual playoff game is there. This isn't a joke championship by any stretch. This is going to be a legit championship, and these games matter. There's pressure in these games, and they showed it. They showed it last night. Yes, sloppy basketball for sure, but it made for fun, entertaining basketball. Basketball games don't always have to be 140 to 130. Games can be exciting if they're low scoring. So great game last night. It's just going to set up. And the Nuggets against the Clippers, round two. Round two, they play tomorrow already. Nuggets battle, grueling seven-game series that they had to fight back 3-1 to win, had to win three straight. They did that. They're moving on, and they just got to bounce back and play the Clippers. So that's going to be a thrilling game. So 
Second series that I want to get to is the Game 7 that is tonight. The best two words in sports, Game 7. Rockets against the Thunder. It's a big one. 9 p.m. I'm going to take the Rockets in this. I, I've had a hard time believing in this OKC, OKC team all year. They have shocked me every time they play with how well they play. I just haven't been able to figure them out all year. It really just shows on the incredible leader that Chris Paul is. I've never been that big a Chris Paul fan, but he has shocked me to the core this year by showing he's one of the best leaders. For sure a top 10 point guard of all time, no question about it. He's he's resilient. You know, he does some things I'm not a big fan of. He kind of milks calls a little bit. He's a little flamboyant out there, but he gets the job done. He's a good player, and uh, he gets this under team to play well. Gets them to play really well. I like some of their role players. Shea Gillis-Alexander is nice. Steven Adams. Gallinari's a decent role player. They just have a lot of decent guys, but I never expected them to be the five seed going up all the way to a game seven with the Houston Rockets. But I'm going to take the Rockets winning this one. I think James Harden's going to go off. Russell Westbrook's going to have a bounce back game. The live by three, die by the three mentality will keep them alive for this series. Whoever wins this series, though, is going to run into the juggernaut that is the Lakers. And I don't see either of these teams beating the Lakers. I think the better matchup would be the Rockets against the Lakers. I think if the Thunder win, it would only be a five-game series against the Lakers, while if the Rockets win, it might go to six, maybe seven if the Rockets are hitting their shot. But this is a big-time game tonight for Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Like This is much must-win basketball for them. They have to win this game. This would be huge if Westbrook Ever since Durant left, has not been out of the first round. He can get his team to the playoffs. He can play well in the regular season. But you got to come through in the postseason. We know that's been the biggest um, gripe on James Harden's legacy is not coming through in the postseason. And this would just be detrimental if they both couldn't get out of the first round together after the Rockets just traded Pr- Chris Paul away. They traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook thinking it would make their team better, and then all of a sudden this guy is taking them to seven games and might beat them. This is must-win for the Rockets. It's must-win for both teams since it's game seven, but legacy-wise, this is must-win for James Harden and Russell Westbrook. So let's see if they can do it with the back against the wall. I expect them to. I think the Rockets are going to win. It's going to be a good game. going to be a close game, but give me the Rockets. Rockets are taking this one. Second series, let's talk about the second round that matchup that's already started. Boston Celtics, Toronto Raptors. Celtics taking a 2-0 lead. They won 102-99 yesterday. Smart went off in the fourth quarter. He hit five threes. He was doing a lot of flopping yesterday. Nick Nurse wasn't happy about the officiating for Jason Tatum. But the Celtics are just playing well. They're playing really well together right now. They've really been unstoppable. Uh, You could say they've been the best team to this point in the bubble. With the way Jason Tatum is playing, he's definitely establishing himself as one of the best players in the league. I don't think he's top 10, but he's close. Jalen Brown is really good. I love Kemba Walker. Marcus Smart does his thing. Gordon Hayward only makes his team more potent, but he's injured. I think Celtics got a great chance of winning this Eastern Conference. We'll see how they do the rest of the way. I really thought the Raptors were going to get this one. And I'm still going to go with the Raptors. I'm not changing my pick. But 
Celtics have been playing well, already out to a 2-0 lead. Game three tomorrow, 6-30. Raptors got to win. It's must win at this point for the Raptors. You can't get down 3-0. And just so everyone knows, anytime the Celtics have been up 2-0 in a series, they're 39-1. They've only lost one time after they've gone up 2-0 in a series. Do we know who they lost to? That one loss comes to the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2017, actually 2018, with LeBron James. That's right. The LeBron James Cavs with no Kyrie were the only time the Celtics have lost a series when they were up too well. LeBron, the GOAT. But sorry for another day. I expect that series to pick up Raptors-Celtics. It's going to be a good one. There's no way it's, Raptors are bowing out like this. No way the defending champs are going down quietly. Nick Nurse is going to draw something up. Final series of the playoffs, Milwaukee Bucks, Miami Heat. Miami Heat looked great in game one. Giannis struggled. The big story out of there is why the defensive player of the year, Giannis, didn't go guard Jimmy Butler at the end of the game when he was absolutely torching this Bucks defense. He went off for 40, 44 and 2. Butler was a bucket. Jimmy Bucket Butler went off. Gordon Drogic had a nice game as well. He had 27. Bam Adebayo chipped in 12. Tyler Hero chipped in 11. Look, they're, they're a scrappy team. Eric Spolster is a really good coach. They're not going to make it easy for the Bucks. I do expect the Bucks to bounce back in this one. I say Bucks are going to win game two. Eric Bledsoe comes back tonight. He's not a huge different maker, but Giannis isn't going to score 18 points again. Like, I know the Heat are doing some different things on defense that Giannis has to get used to, but he is too talented to be held to just 18 points. He's going to go off tonight. I expect the Bucks to bounce back, even this series. So tonight for the games, give me the Bucks over the Heat. Give me the Rockets over the Thunder. Bucks, they're, they're the one seed. They're not going to bow down like this. I don't think they're going down 2-0 to the Heat. I don't see it. I don't see it. I, I do expect the Bucks to, uh, I, I don't want to say blow out, but I do expect the Bucks to play really well and, play, and win handily tonight and win handily. So going to be a good series, but I expect the Bucks to win this one. I, th- I see it going six or seven games. Like they're not going to make it, the Heat are not going to make it easy for the Bucks to move on. I got the Bucks winning this series, but we will see. The Heat have played great in game one. Let's see if they can replicate that tonight. It's a thriller. Tune in, people. Tune in. Basketball. It's what's going on. That's tonight, 6.30. Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Topic number two that I want to get to is, folks, it's already September 2nd, and the MLB trade deadline already occurred. And remember, it's just the 60-game sprint to the postseason, so teams are already making moves to try and make that postseason push. We'll just go over what the records are real quick, and then we'll dissect who really won the trade deadline. So as of right now, we'll start in the American League. The Rays have a three-and-a-half game lead over the Yankees. They're 25-12. and 12. Uh, Yankees are 20-14. and 14. Blue Jays right behind them at 18-16. and 16. Orioles are 16-19. and 19. And the Red Sox, bottom of the barrel in the AL East at 12-24. and 24. AL Central. Chicago White Sox, 22-14. and 14. They got the tiebreaker over the Indians, who have the same record. But White Sox are in first, Indians second. Twins right behind them. They're one and a half games back at 21-16. and 16. Tigers above 500, 17-16, just three and a half back. Royals 
at the bottom there, 14 and 25 in the AL West. Oakland Athletics lead the way, 22 and 12. Asterix are right behind them, three games back. Mariners, 15 and 22. Rangers, 13 and 21. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, 12 and 24. They've been atrocious. You know, I expect the A's to stay at the top there because, wow, that's a bad division. Move over to the National League, NL East. Braves sit atop there, 21 and 14. Back is the Marlins. They're above 500. They're 16 and 15. Phillies tied with them, 16 and 15. Marlins have the tiebreaker. Mets, six and a half back. They're 15 and 21. And the Washington Nationals, the defending world champions, 12 and 21. The Chicago Cubs sit atop the NL Central at 21 and 14. Cardinals behind them, three games back, 14 and 13. The Brewers, 16 and 19, five back. Reds, 15 and 21. They're six and a half back. And the Pirates are 10 and 23 the worst team in baseball. And the final division, National League West Dodgers lead that 27 and 10. That would be projected to like win 130 games or something ridiculous if they were playing an actual season. They've been playing fantastic. Right behind them, another team that's been playing really well, San Diego Padres, 22 and 15. They're five games back. Giants, 18 and 19, nine games back. Rockies right behind them, 17 and 19. And then the Arizona Diamondbacks, they are 14 and 25. So it's picking up with the trade deadline. A decent amount of teams made moves. And we'll just go over the teams that I think made the best moves at the deadline to kind of help their team's chances um, moving forward here. So we're going to start actually with not the Chicago Cubs, who are on this list. But we'll start with the San Diego Padres. They've been the probably the nicest story to this point in baseball, especially after the Tatis incident where he hit the Grand Slam on a 3-0 count. They've been playing really well. they got a really solid team, and they're going for it. They're going for the postseason. And why not go for a World Series run? In this short season sprint, anything can happen, especially with how the playoffs are working this year. They can definitely go deep into the playoffs if they get hot. And they got the team to do it. They traded for Mike Clevenger and Trevor Rosenthal. Those were the two big moves that they made. But they also traded for Mitch Moreland and Greg Allen as well, as well as Taylor Williams, Dan Altuve, Austin Adams, and Austin Nola. They made a lot of moves at the deadline. Of all the teams, I think they really improved their roster the most. They're really going for it this year, especially with how well they've played. Yeah, I don't think they're going to beat the Dodgers for the first place in that division, but making a playoff spot, they can make a run from there. With how many teams are getting in this year, they can easily make a run. So I like the decision to go after it and make moves at the deadline. Second team, um, kind of a team that's another team, really come out of nowhere. I'm gonna, the Marlins, I'm going to give them credit. 16 and 15, three games back. I sign in Starlin Marte, the former all-star for the Pirates. I think it's a great move. Yeah. Entered Monday with a 827 OPS higher than any current Marlin. Like they're already a decent team. I think it's a nice move for them. I think it's a good decision. Um, he's hitting 310 on the year. He's got three home home runs, 15 RBIs. Like he's a good guy to sign. 
it's a good decision by them. Why not go for it? They didn't get that much better. It was really the only big move that they made. But why not go get this guy? Why not pull off a trade for him? He's already played one game for them, so I like the decision to go sign him. And uh, it only makes them better, and especially in a division that hasn't been great. Nationals have been disappointing. They lost Strasburg for the year. Mets always disappoint. Um, But that being said, they're right there. I don't think they're going to catch the Braves, but they can definitely stay with the Phillies, possibly snag a playoff spot for themselves. So anything can happen at this point. So I'm going to give credit for the Marlins. The third team, the division rival of the Cubs, Cincinnati Reds. They had a good uh, trade deadline as well. They signed Archie Bradley and Brian Goodwin. You know, Goodwin, he's hitting 242 on the year, got four home runs, 17 RBIs. It just improves their roster a little bit. They also brought in some bullpen depth and a bullpen that struggled. They have great starting pitching with Luis and Bauer. Like they Three great pitchers. They got three really good pitchers bringing in some bullpen help. It'll really help them. I mean, they rank third, bottom third in OPS. Like they need good win, so they need the offense. They need the strikeouts. They need the bullpen work, so I think it's a good decision. Reds made some nice moves, and, you know, they, they've struggled six games back under 500, but I think they can make a push, and they could possibly catch the Cardinals and surpass the Brewers in that division. They ain't catching the Cubbies, though. Ain't catching the Cubbies. The fourth team, the Toronto Blue Jays. They've been a nice surprise as well. You know, they're over 500, 18 and 16. They got the young guys, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio. Why not make some moves to make your team better? And they did just that. They got Robbie Way, uh, Robbie Ray, excuse me, Taiwan Walker, Ross Striplin, you know, Jonathan Villar. He's hitting 274 on the year. Like, he, he's been solid. He's a really good guy to bring in. Um, he's can play shortstop until Bo Bichette returns. It's just they made some nice moves, bolstered that pitching staff. Pitching staff's the mo- pitching is the most important thing in baseball. Got to be able to pitch. They brought in some nice pitchers. Blue Chase, they'll make a push. Why not? Again, I don't think they're going to catch the Rays or the Yankees. But if you finish with a good record in third place in your division, you make the playoffs. So why not go for it? Go for it. These teams should definitely go for it. Even if it's, you know, you got a young team, you could call it a building year. Build off some success that you have. Build off some recent success and use that going forward rather than tanking and playing poorly. So I rather like that final team. Got to talk about my Chicago Cubs. I think they actually did make some decent moves. They signed uh, Jose Martinez, Cameron Mabin for the offense, bolster that up a little bit. Andrew Chafin and Josh Ozich. Um, you know, the pitchers, it's not that great bullpen um, depth, but it does help a little bit getting some more arms there. Um, frankly, we needed some lefty relievers. It's something that the Cubs have really needed because the bullpen has been atrocious. Um, Got to be able to ha- – starting pitchers have to be able to – able to hand a lead over to some guys, and they need to be able to hold on to it. Cubs haven't been able to do that. Even like last night, they went to extra innings against the Pirates. They were up 6-1 at one point, and the Pirates managed to fight their way back, force extra innings. Cubs ended up winning it, but still, Cubs need need that bullpen to get better. But I like the sign, signing of Martinez. Um, he's a decent player. He was good um, with the Cardinals a couple of years ago. 
Um, I, I, I like him added to this offense. Like, we already got a decent offense. It hasn't been great this year, hitting 202 for the year. You know, we need our power hitters to step up, like Baez and Bryant, but I imagine they're going to turn it around, just add a little more depth to the offense, and then maybe, you know, he's been all around the league. Like, this guy has played for, I think, seven teams. So he's a nice utility guy that we can use all over the place. Uh, he can honestly play anywhere in the outfield, so I like signing him. I think it's a good addition. So those are the five teams. Padres, Reds, Marlins, Blue Jays, Cubs, all got better at the deadline. Topic number three. People, do we realize that the NFL season starts next week? That's right. We are eight days away. Next week, the Chiefs play the Texans. Week one. I, I can't believe the season is already upon us. And I haven't missed, haven't missed preseason games. Not one bit. Haven't even thought about preseason games. As a matter of fact, I'd be okay if they eliminate preseason games altogether. But with that being said, I am very excited for the NFL season. Starts next week, Thursday, 8.30. The defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, will go up against the Houston Texans. Two quarterbacks that could have been on the Bears, but no, they elected for Mitchell Trubisky. Still salty about it. But uh, football's already upon us. And uh, earlier in episodes... Way early, way early, like episodes 10, 11, 12, 13, like around that area. I did over-unders for the NFC, kind of took a break from it. Now we're going to get back up and running. If you want to go hear my NFC picks, feel free to go back, listen to those previous episodes. But we're going to move over to the AFC, and we're going to discuss over-unders for the AFC. We're going to start in the AFC West. We're going to go episode by episode, so over the next couple episodes, I'll be doing my over-under picks for AFC divisions and then give a full recap before the season starts. So AFC West will start with the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. They are projected with a win total of 11 and a half. And before we go any further, I got all my over-unders from VegasInsider.com NFL odd win totals. That's what I went to. That's my source. That's what I'm basing these numbers off. So whatever you happen to be seeing, good for you. This is what I'm going off. And this is what I did for the NFC, now doing it for the AFC. So cheese, 11 and a half. They went 12 and four last year. Patrick Mahomes did get hurt a couple games. Uh, they're the Super Bowl champions. They're bringing everyone back. Patrick Mahomes is on the big contract. They still got Chris Jones, Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Damian Williams, Tyron Matthew. Like, they got a great team still. Andy Reid established himself as a Hall of Fame coach after the Super Bowl win. Uh, 11 and a half is a good number, but I'm going to take the over. I think they just have too much talent all around. They're a solid team. I love what they got. I'm going to go the over with the Chiefs. Just too good to ignore. Patrick Mahomes already the best quarterback in the league. and uh, Give me the over. Give me the over for them. I don't even know what their schedule is looking like. 18th toughest schedule. You know, they uh, start the year with the Texans next week, and then they go to the Chargers at Baltimore. New England comes to town, then the Raiders, then at Buffalo, at Denver, go to uh, the Meadowlands to play the Jets, then Carolina, Raiders at the Bucks. then they got the Broncos at home, then they go out to Miami, then at New Orleans, Falcons, Chargers. So um, 
pretty easy schedule, I would say, for the defending Super Bowl champions. 18th toughest schedule, so give me the over on this Chiefs team. I don't see them. I don't see where six losses are coming. Even five. I don't see where five losses are coming. Not with a team this talented, this ready to go. So give me the over for the Chiefs at 11.5. Broncos, win total of eight. It's a good number. It's a very good number for this team. They were 7-9 and nine last year. They still got a great defense. It's very hard to ignore them with that good a defense. Vaughn Miller, you know, Cortland Sutlin, God, Justin Williams, uh, S- Simons, excuse me, Bradley Chubb. They still got a really good team. It's really how well will Drew Locke progress. They brought over Melvin Gordon. Mm. Eight's, a, eight's a tough number. Eight's a tough number. Twelfth toughest schedule. They start the year with the Tennessee Titans coming to town. Then they go out to Pittsburgh. Then Bucks come to town. Then they go play the Jets. Then they're at New England. Then Miami comes to Denver. Then they got the Chiefs. Uh, then they travel to Atlanta. Then at Las Vegas. Then the Chargers come to town. Then they play the Saints. Then at the Chiefs. At Carolina. Buffalo. Then comes to Colorado, and then at the Chargers, and then finish the season with the Raiders. A lot of winnable games. A lot of winnable games for them, but then also some tough games. But eight? I'm going to go the over. I'm going to go the over. I see them as a nine-win team. I think they really are the second-best team in this division. I think they are better than the Chargers just... You know, I, Tyrod Taylor is what he is. I don't think Herbert's going to get much time, so I'm actually going to take, and I think they can beat up on the Raiders a little bit. They still got a better defense than them. So Broncos, give me the over. Give me the over. Next team will go to the Chargers. Um, 23rd toughest schedule. They went 5-11 and last year with Phillip Rivers. Tyrod Taylor expected to be the quarterback. They did draft Herbert. So if Tyrod struggles, I imagine they'll make that switch. Uh, Start the season at Cincinnati, then Kansas City comes to town, then Carolina comes to town, then they go to Tampa, then they go to New Orleans, play the Jets, then at Miami, then Jacksonville comes to town, then they got the Raiders, and then at Denver, at Buffalo, Patriots come to California, Atlanta comes to um, California as well, then at Las Vegas, then Denver, and then finish the season with the Chiefs. Whew, that is a seven and a half seems high. Seven and a half seems nine. Five and eleven last year. I think they'll get a little more production at a tight because Philip Rivers was just bad. Uh, he was just bad last year. They still got Bosa, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Justin Jackson, Derwin James, Austin Eckler, Chris Harris, Melvin Ingram. Like they, they have. There's so much talent on this team if they can have any production on the off at the quarterback spot with Taylor or Herbert that's so much talent there for me to ignore so much talent there for me to ignore so I'm actually going to take the over I see them winning a minimum eight games and at seven and a half I'm going to take the over on the Chargers so Chargers getting that over and I like their coach you know I watched a little bit of uh, hard knocks over the weekend. Um, they look like an interesting team. They have a lot of talent, good personalities. I like Anthony Lynn as a coach. I love the things he was saying on hard knocks. 
And uh, so I'm, I'm going to go the over on the Chargers. I, I wasn't sold on them with Phillip Rivers, but maybe they can prove me wrong. And, um, and then the final team, the Raiders, seven and a half, another tough number. John Gruden, still the head coach. Derek Carr at quarterback. They're bringing in Henry Ruggs. They got Jason Witten at tight end. Gosh, I just, I just really don't know about this Raiders team. Like, wh- what makes me believe in them? What actually would give me hope? They got the 21st best schedule, I guess. At Carolina, then they play the Saints, then at Patriots, then Buffalo comes to town at Kansas City, then they go play Tampa, then at Cleveland, at the Chargers, then they got Denver, Chiefs, at Atlanta, at the Jets, and then they play the Colts at home and the Chargers at home, Dolphins at home, finish the season in Colorado to play the Broncos. Seven and a half seems high, but they did go seven and nine last year. I think Derek Carr will be better this year. I think the addition of Ruggs makes the offense that much more potent. The defense just doesn't have much. I don't know how much better Witten is going to be with this team. It'll be interesting to see him in a Raiders uniform. (sighs) Seven and a half seems high. They seem like a seven-win team, but they did win seven last year. I imagine there's going to be improvement from Gruden. So I'm actually going to take the over. So I'm really taking the over in every team in this division. And <laughs> I don't, I'm not proud of those picks. Uh, honestly, the Chiefs one is the only one I'm really confident about. But I'll stick with it. You know, we'll go with it. I, give me the over. They play weak, weak schedules. They get a feast on the Jets. Um, play the Dolphins, Browns. Like, there's a lot of winnable games on these team schedules. A lot of winnable games. So I'm going to take the over for all of them. So all of them are going to win over eight games. All of them are going to win over eight games. So, (laughs) oh, that's what happens when you do these over-unders. You just pretty much say whatever you want and got to believe it. So we'll go with it. Everyone going over in the AFC West. Moving on, topic number four, we're going to stay in the NFL. There's going to be fans. We're going to see fans in the stands at a professional sports game this season. That's right. That's right. The Chiefs and Houston Texans game is going to have a minimum of 10,000 people there at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. So good for them. Good for having fans. I think we should have fans. I would sign a waiver tomorrow if I could go to a game that says the team is not liable for me catching the coronavirus. I'll sign whatever little waiver. Now, I do think it should be in limited capacity. We shouldn't be going out in full stadiums. But I think with these giant 60, 70, 80,000 person stadiums, we could easily have fans in the stands in these places. No doubt about it. No question in my mind. And especially, you're already putting your life at risk just going to the grocery store. You could get the coronavirus there. You could get it at a department store. You know, you could get it at a restaurant, wherever you happen to go. Anywhere it could happen. You can get it in public no matter what, regardless if it's in an arena or not. Just space it out. Me and my girlfriend went to Universal the other weekend, and they did a nice job of spacing us out, even on the rides, in line, all over the place. There was hand sanitizer. Teams can take the necessary precautions they need to to allow fans to be in arenas and stadiums this year. I firmly believe that. I know a lot of the teams, though, 
A lot of teams have already announced it. The few teams, I know the Jets and the Giants will not have fans at the Meadowlands. Um, Cardinal uh, Rams and Chargers also decided the same thing. Cardinals won't have fans until at least week three or four. Most of the teams are, are waiting a month. They're not going to have fans within the first month, but sometime in October, maybe November, we'll see fans. Cowboys haven't announced it, but they plan on having f- fans at, in some capacity. As of right now, Gathering's going to have 50%, but maybe Jerry Jones is holding off till he can get a higher number and more fans in the stands, but they're announced they're going to have fans in some capacity. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Again, like I said, I would be willing to sign whatever little waiver needs to be signed for me to be able to go to a sporting event. I'll wear a mask. I'll wear gloves if I have to. I'll take a temperature chest te- check. I'll do whatever needs to be done. I'll, I'll wear a bubble suit if they need me to. If we need to wear those uh, nuclear-like suits, if we need to wear those out in public, I'll wear that if it, we can go to sporting events. If I can go sit in the stands in like the 50th row, I don't care. Get me to the game. Let me go watch a sport in the arena and cheer and yell and heckle and have a good time. Let's get back to some normalcy. Again, limited capacity. I'm okay with. Just take the necessary precautions that you need to to allow fans. And I think in these giant, massive stadiums, you can fit 16,000, 15,000 people. Maybe max you can fit 20,000 people, a third of the capacity for the smaller stadiums. Firmly believe you can do that. And you could do it ethically, um, with the right supplies, with the necessary precautions. It can be done. You can space things out. There are things you can do. So let's make it happen. Sports leagues, get fans back in the arena. I know you want the ticket sales money. I know you want fans in the stands to give you that home court advantage. You can do it. It could be done. I worked a rodeo this weekend. There were fans in the stands for a rodeo. Yeah, only like 1,500 people, but there were people. They social distanced. There was hand sanitizer everywhere. People were required to wear masks inside when not eating or drinking. It can be done. It can easily be done. We can have fans, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to go to a sporting event, hopefully this year. I think it'll happen in 2020. I think we'll be able to go into the stands in 2020, not at full capacity, but in some limited capacity with the right precautions and everything. So let's do it. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to a football game. Whatever needs to be done, get me to a game. Topic number five. One of the biggest athletes in the world is changing teams. Messi, that's right. Lionel Messi is changing. He wants to leave Barcelona He wants out. He's trying to get away. Get me out of here. They choke every year. Yeah, I got to say, I don't pay much attention to soccer, and I'm not going to act like I know all the leagues or anything like that or act like I know a lot of players because, really, I know Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, a few other guys, but no – Nothing to the extent where I could really talk about the game in-depthly. But to say that one of the biggest athletes in the world wants to change teams is huge. Imagine LeBron James wanting to leave the Lakers right now under contract because they were to lose in the playoffs this year. That's the kind of ramifications, but times it by 10. Because Messi is the biggest athlete in the world. Soccer is the biggest sport in the world. This has huge ramifications. His next contract could be worth... $700 million. 
700 million is 700 million euros. That's like 800 million dollars. Like he is going to get so much money, it is going to be disgusting. We talk about baseball contracts in this country, four hundred thousand for guy, three hundred thousand. That's usually a huge contract, three hundred thousand over ten years. We talk about that's absurd amount of money. Yeah, double that, double that for this guy. This is like Jordan wanting to change teams if the Bulls never were winning and he was in the prime of his career. Uh, this is huge. It is huge for a player like Messi to want to change teams. And I don't even care about soccer. Again, I'm not going to act like I know soccer or really pay uh, that close attention. I pay attention to the big stuff, you know, the big scores, you know, things like that. But I'm not just drooling over <laughs> soccer. I got, I'll watch the big games. I'll watch the big teams if it's on TV. But I'm not... I'm not I'm not glued to the TV, but if you don't know who Messi is, uh, I can't help you. Like, you must live under a rock. He's the biggest sports star in the world. And it, really, if you only have one name, like, you're the biggest at your respective thing. Just look, uh, Jordan, we all know that's Michael. Tiger, Tiger Woods. You know, Serena, it, R- Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, you know, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. Like, we all know a lot of athletes by just one name. That's when you know you're at superstar supremacy. And he's maybe the greatest soccer player ever. I mean, this guy has scored World Cups in his teens, 20s, and 30s. He's Argentina's leading goal scorer and a sister. And that just is for his country. No other player has scored more goals against La Liga opponents than this guy. He's got six Babylon trophies, which are their, like, MVP trophy of the like best soccer player in the world. I he has more hat tricks than anyone. 35 hat tricks. 35. He scored three goals in a game 35 times. How is that possible? He is sick. In 2015, he became the only player to have ever scored in seven competitions in a calendar year. Huh? Like, my God. He scores off the bench, too. He scored 34 times in substitution situations. I mean, this guy, he's an absolute phenom. Just, if, you don't, if you think soccer's boring, just go watch Messi highlights. He'll show you that, like, oh, my God, these guys are sick. They're fast as hell. Their footwork is incredible. Their, their ability to handle the ball, no homo, is fantastic. Like, he is absolutely sick when it comes to soccer, and he's one of the best soccer players to watch. Like, he is much-watched television when it comes to the sport of soccer. If you don't know much about soccer, you know who Messi is and you know the kind of impact it is when a guy like him wants to change teams. I'm not even going to try and speculate what team he should go to, uh, like where he's possibly going to go, what the situation is. All I know is he put in that he wants to leave Barcelona because he's fed up with losing. And I don't blame him. In the prime of your career, you want to put yourself in the opportunity to win championships, and they are not doing that. They are not doing that. They come up short every year. And it, Barcelona is one of the few teams I actually pay attention to. Like, I saw the stadium. I went there in person. I didn't get to see a game, unfortunately. But I went there the same year that they won the Champions League. And the way people talked about them and were fired up for soccer, it made me get into the sport of soccer. But now he wants to leave that team. How much I'm going to pay attention to them? I'm probably not. Call me a bandwagon fan. I don't care. Messi is unbelievable. The guy is fan fantastic he is incredible so for him to leave his team wow wow huge ramifications 
huge ramifications for the sport of soccer. And like I said, we talk about all sports here. This show it does not pre- is not prejudiced against any sport. We're at fault. All sports matter. Okay, all sports matter, and we talk about them here on the Hang Time with Halgi podcast. And now for my unpopular opinion. So I was watching the NBA draft lottery the other week, and it got me thinking. Since the Minnesota Timberwolves got the number one pick, God, they they get there a lot, huh? The Timberwolves are always towards the top of the draft. You know, they always find themselves having a high draft pick. And it got me thinking, why do teams tank? Why do teams try to suck? Which leads me to my unpopular opinion. No team should tank. Every team should try to win. Every team should go for it. Timberwolves are a perfect example. They have been atrocious forever. When was the last time they were good? Tell me, honestly, when was the last time they were good? Oh, when they had Kevin Garnett. They made it to the Western Conference Finals in 2003, I think it was. Maybe 2004. Either way, at the early 2000s, they've been terrible ever since. They've been in the draft lottery every year ever since, always having a high draft pick and never being able to turn it around. They had one year they made the playoffs as an 8C with Jimmy Butler, Tom Thibodeau, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Jeff Teague. They had a decent team, but they stood no chance in the Western Conference. And then Jimmy Butler left. Tom Thibodeau was fired the following year. And right again, back in the lottery. They're just one of the reasons. They're one of the teams that just show you shouldn't tank because it doesn't always turn into success. Getting those high draft picks doesn't always turn it around. NBA, another team, Sacramento Kings, like they're always in the draft lottery. Again, early success in the 2000s, but haven't been good since. Like they had Cousins, but even then they weren't competing for playoff spots with prime DeMarcus Cousins. You know, I like De'Aaron Fox as a player. They were invited to the bubble, but they had no chance. They were not making the playoffs one bit. That wasn't going to happen. Another team always in the draft lottery. There's a reason Vladdy Divac is gone. They just have not been able to figure it out. They can't sign the right guys, can't put the right pieces together because they're not necessarily making the right draft picks. That, that's They're just not figuring it out. Kings, so the Kings are just another example. What about the Suns? The Suns, they've been atrocious too, always in the draft lottery. Yes, they almost made the playoffs this year in the bu- thanks to the bubble. Devin Booker went off. DeAndre Ayton, he's a very nice player, but another team that always finds themselves in the draft, always finds themselves high in the draft looking for that next savior when it's never going to come. Another team. Just We can keep going down the list in the NBA. The Hawks, they're always in the draft lottery. The laughingstock of the NBA, the New York Knicks, they've been atrocious forever. Carmelo Anthony's the only reason they've had any relevancy in this millennia. Like, they haven't been good at all. The Bulls haven't been good since MVP Derrick Rose, and that was, again, in the 2000s. We just have not seen teams who stay in the draft lottery get out of the draft lottery. The Cleveland Cavaliers live in the draft lottery, and they've only been good when LeBron James is on the team. Every time he leads, they're right back in the draft lottery. They're just a terrible organization. The Hornets, another prime example of a team that just loves the draft lottery and lives in the draft lottery. It's very prominent in basketball. You can even move over to other sports. The Baltimore Orioles, they haven't been good. They got rid of Machado. They got rid of Jones. Uh, 
still holding on to Chris Davis, who doesn't know how to hit the baseball anymore. Buck Showalters, that was the last time they were decent. They made the playoffs a couple times, but that was it. The Royals, yeah, they won a series in 2004, World Series in 2014, but they haven't been anything. They hang out in the high draft picks of the MLB draft. Tigers, they haven't been good in a long time. Gosh, you could just keep going down the list. A lot of the teams, there's a reason they have high draft picks because they're consistently always bad because they're always consistently trying to tank for better draft picks. You just, at every cost, you should be going out there winning. This doesn't just apply to baseball and basketball. Football, you see the Lions every year get a high draft pick, and they never turn it into anything. They made Calvin Johnson retire early. Matt Stafford gets injured every year. He's the number one pick, has yet to be in the playoffs. Number one pick has yet to get you to the postseason. They got to figure it out. They really got to figure it out. Look at the Giants. Giants had a couple good years with Eli Manning, but that's it. Other than that, they hang out at the higher draft spots. Redskins, uh, excuse me, the team from Washington, the Washington football team. That's the name. Yep, they hang out in the higher points of the draft all the time. They're never good. Cleveland Browns, they're another perfect example of this. Always having high draft picks and never do anything with those high draft picks. Always pick bad coaches, bad players who never turn into what they're supposed to. Just They love drafting high but never turn it into anything. It has worked for some teams. Some teams have managed to figure this out. But usually, it, you're better off just winning as many games as possible and finding the right talent for your already good team in the draft to complement an already solid team. Stop holding on expecting that these high draft picks are going to turn into anything. Make your team as good as you possibly can and then use the draft to your advantage to get better. Not have an awful team stay awful or at best get to mediocre. Stop tanking. If you stop tanking, your team will be better for it. You're going to make more money because you'll make it, make it to the playoffs. More fans will buy into your team, buy more season tickets. It just makes more sense to me to go out and win at whatever cost possible. The Raptors are a perfect example of this. They could have tanked. They could have tanked when they were like, oh, well, we can never get over the LeBron James bridge. Well, guess what? LeBron goes to the Western Conference. Oh, that opens it up. We make a trade for a top-tier guy. Boom. We're now winning the NBA Finals. They could have given up on the Lowry to Rosen show way earlier and decided, you know what? We're going to tank for high draft picks. It's what they tried to do with Vince Carter and Chris Bosh. They wanted the high draft pick with Chris Bosh, and then Vince Carter wanted out because he wasn't seeing any progress. And then eventually Chris Bosh is gone, and the Raptors are back to irrelevancy until they got Lowry and DeRozan again. You know, you can use the lottery to your advantage. You can use the draft to your advantage, but you should already make your team as good as possible because you never know what can happen at any given season. Any given season, you can turn things around. So that's my unpopular opinion. Teams should stop tanking and try to win as many games as possible. And that's the end of episode 28 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay tuned. More episodes are coming. Interact with me on social media. Give me topics you want to hear me talk about. You know, let me know what you want me to discuss. Um, But yeah, stay tuned until next time. But remember, 
during this coronavirus pandemic. Wash your damn hands. All right, I'm out. Peace.